And good evening, everyone. This is Rich Barago, otherwise known as MetFanRich on Twitter. And you are listening to a very special edition. We'll call it a spring snow edition of the Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. So if you're in the New York area, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, depending upon where you live, I guess we're expecting anywhere from 4 to 10 inches of snow tonight. But baseball has been going on in Florida and Arizona for a little over a week, and that's a great thing. And we have a lot to talk about. And to do that, I've got my two co-conspirators in the Metsian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. I'd uh, like to have them introduce themselves. So we'll start with you, Sam. From uh, well, We never know where you are. Sometimes you're in New Jersey, sometimes you're in the city. So tell us where you are and then what's going on. I am looking directly at the East Orange Municipal Court right now, and I'm about to find myself to uh, 280. I am Sam Maxwell, the converted Mets fan, the Sam Maxwell on Twitter, and I'm happy to be here, as always, with uh, the two of you plus one. That's right. We'll get to the plus one in just a moment after I rotate things around to um, the borough of Brooklyn and bring on Mr. Mike LaColin. And, Mike, how are you, and how's the snow in Brooklyn tonight? I'm doing well. The snow is coming down at a nice pace. Uh, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Uh, baseball makes the grass grow. It'll be here before you know it. Uh, since we're into shameless plugs, I am the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, and you can get my stick at blogspot.com. So give it a shot. Find me on Twitter and do some investigating so I don't have to waste your time now. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Mike. And, uh, as mentioned, we have a plus one tonight. No, we're not going to a formal event with our plus one. We have a plus one on our show. And it's a voice that uh, you've heard here on the Metzian podcast several times over the years. And it's also someone who uh, who doesn't need us to make him famous in the Mets world. Uh, Mr. Greg Prince has written a couple of books. He is one of the prime writers on Faith in Fear and Flushing. And we are thrilled to have Greg Prince with us tonight. So, Greg, hello, uh, good evening, and tell us uh, whatever you'd like to tell us about yourself, where people can find you. Uh, right now I am looking at uh, the snow here on Long Island, since we're all giving weather reports. And uh, other than that, I'm uh, on com and at Greg underscore Prince on Twitter. And like the rest of you guys, uh, waiting for uh, baseball to ramp up in earnest. Excellent. Well, thank you, Greg. Um, and, and, you know, this isn't a shameless plug. Your, your books are excellent. So tell us the, the titles of the books you've written. Uh, sure. Uh, in reverse chronological order, uh, Piazza, Catcher, Slugger, Icon, Star, story of the Mike Piazza years in New York and why Mike meant so much to us as Mets fans. Uh, Amazing Again, which was the story of the 2015 Mets and how they went about winning the National League Championship. Uh, the Happiest Recap, uh, 1962 to 1973, uh, the, the most amazing games of the first uh, segment of Mets history, and uh, that just came out 10 years ago this month, uh, boy, time flies, uh, Faith and Fear and Flushing, an intense, intense personal history of the New York Mets, kind of a, a memoir of uh, growing up and getting older with the Mets right up to, uh, depending which edition you have, uh, the end of Shea Stadium and uh, and or the beginning of City Field. Thank you, Greg. Excellent reads. They all are. So, so gentlemen, let's jump in. And you know, you you pretty much can't do a baseball podcast, have a baseball discussion over a beer right now, 
without talking about Bryce Harper's contract. I mean, you know, Friday Friday morning I'm in the gym. People are, you know, we're all baseball fans. Everybody's talking about it. So so let's get it done. Let's talk about it here. And I have two questions that I'll rattle around here. Um, Sam, we'll start with you, and, and we'll go with the, these are the two questions for everyone. Is the contract a new depth of ridiculous or not? Um, and maybe not. You know, he's a young player with a, you know, a lot of years ahead of him, so 13 years and mega money. Um, is the contract insane? Does it shock you? And the second question, the more uh, contemporary question, does that contract shift the balance of power in the National League East clearly in the court of the Philadelphia Phillies? So, Sam, what are you thinking about the Harper contract and, and its potential disruption in the National League East? I think that the, the opt-out, or the I'm sorry, the lack thereof of opt-outs definitely surprised me immensely. Um, I, uh, you know, and, and that's not to say he's going to be a Philly the whole time uh, for 13 years. He has a no-trade clause, but it could get to the point. I mean, you know, he, he it, all the reports we kept hearing was that he was skeptical of going to Philly in the first place. And then the, one of the first things he says that he wants to bring a championship back to his former employer. So, uh, you know, it, it, I, I think that um, the, the bottom line is they could go south very quickly. But as we saw, and, and, and something that we've talked about on this podcast ad nauseum, is the fact that it has an immediate effect in the bottom line of the uh, of of the the team, and uh, you know ticket sales they they had only sold a certain amount of ticket sales uh, prior to signing him, and then they doubled that, they they duplicated that within a day. Uh, there was pro- I'm sure there's Harper number three jerseys of flying off the shelves in Philadelphia and probably around the nation. They were talking about and. and Here's the crazy thing. Had the Mets signed Bryce Harper, it would have been so shocking that they would, that, that, that the rest of America and baseball specifically would have been talking about it more so than they're talking about the Philadelphia Phillies right now because everybody were like, can you believe it? Can you, you know, about the Mets? The Mets. But everybody had been talking about the Phillies. Uh, it had been, he had been linked to the Phillies forever. Um, I, I, you know, I, it, it could go south really quickly, but at the same time, look what it does for the franchise, for the, for the fan base, for the city, the second it happens. And it, I, it's, it's just so, it's exacerbating to, to talk about when in relation to the Mets. Now, in terms of the balance of the power, I, I, I do think that, uh, and, and you brought this uh, up offline, uh, um, off air, Mike, about the rotation and how we could be entering a, a uniqueness to the um, the coming year regarding our rotation and the, the players involved. But uh, I think when you do consider the, the pitching, the Mets still on paper have the best pitching in the National League East. And the question is, has Brody Von Wagenen done everything uh, that he needed to do around that pitching to make sure that the Mets can also be the best team in the league. Uh, I'm sorry, in the National League East. Hopefully, eventually, in the entire baseball community, can, they can be the best team in baseball. Uh, and, and the Braves are coming off of winning the, cha- the, the division, but they did what they uh, uh, typically do, which is, which is get out of the first round, something Bryce Harper is very familiar with. Um, the Nationals are always right there. And, you know, I think that's going to be something interesting to see 
the way the Nationals react to not having Harper because they've been winning since Harper got there. But you've also heard of, of clubhouse issues. He got choked by Jonathan Papelbon, but then again, that's Jonathan Papelbon, so I don't even know whether I should, you know, hold any any credence to that. Um, I, I, I think that's one of the more intriguing things I'm curious about is the way the Nationals respond to this and what the Harper effect is uh, with that. But, you know... I, I, I'll leave. I'll leave it with this, guys. The Phillies had the division somewhere around August and lost it and didn't even make the playoffs. How do they respond? They trade for Gene Segura. They get Andrew McCutcheon. They trade for G, uh, JT Realmuto. They, I believe, they made some reliever deals uh, that I'm, I'm spacing on right now, and I believe they made some other pitching deals as well. And then, last but not least, they signed Bryce Harper, who's one of the if you if you you can sure think he's overrated, but when you're talking about top two most marketed players in the league and most likely the most arguably the most talented players uh, uh, in the league, you're talking about Mike Trout, and then you know right behind him, even though he's not as good as Mike Trout, is Bryce Harper, and that's the way the Phillies responded, and the Wilpons are hoping that uh, Brody Von Wagenen can be the best GM they've had to do the way they like to do business. I, I, I was saying right before we got on air how headbanging that is. You're just, like, just even saying that sentence is my head banging against the wall, but there's nothing we could do about the Wilpons at this point. We know they're not going anywhere, and so we, we, we have to hope that's exactly what's about to happen. Well, there's a lot there to react to, Sam. I think you kind of... Um went through what's running through the heads of a lot of Mets fans. You kind of covered the gamut there of, of what, a, what a lot of the thought process is. So, no, I think you did. I, I really do. I think you covered it from, you know, hey, look how the Phillies respond. They were left at the altar, you know, after uh, a good start. And, and what did they do? Did they go out and say, you know, hey, let, you know, hope is not a strategy, but did they say let's hope we could do this, this, this? They went out and they got really solid reinforcements to basically tell their fan base, and the fan base responded, as you said, that, you know, hey, we're not happy being left at the altar. We want to be the bride. So, Mike, I'll turn to you then to Greg. Same two questions. Harper, is it insane, and, and what does it do to the balance of power? Is it insane? Not really. I mean, 13 years is going to wind up being a problem, I, I, I would guess, I think. Uh, but dollar-wise, it's actually a friendly contract. They can unload it. They can unload him somewhere down the line. Uh, the thing is, Scott Boris is a—he's a market maker, and he's consistently going to, you know, set the bar. But as a player, you got to go where he tells you. I don't really think Manny Machado wants to be in San Diego, and I don't really think Harper wants to be in Philly. And I think you can say that about a lot of his former clients, present and past. A Rod, do you think you really wanted to be in Texas? I doubt it. You know, but, you know, this contract, look how many teams ran away from such deals. Uh, Mike Hampton in the Rockies, uh, A-Rod, Stanton, Tulowitzki, even Jose Reyes. Teams run away from these deals after signing them. So I don't expect Harper to stay there for the full 13 years. Uh, At some point, you know, things are going to sour over there and they'll be looking to rebuild again, you know, who knows, five, six, seven years down the road. 
uh, and they'll be looking to unload him. But by then, you know, the money will be friendly for an acquiring team and for, you know, somebody who's still relatively young, you know, early 30s, something like that, because he's only 26 or 27 now. So, you know, again, I would put this on Scott Boris. He's a market maker. Uh, but you're going to wind up playing where he says, Robinson Cano, he's another individual, you know. Uh, got got the man top dollar, but he had to go all the way to Seattle. And the only people watching Seattle Mariner games are Seattle Mariner fans because nobody on the East Coast is watching those games, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, balance of power. It's going to be interesting. I mean, they're going to be able to – Phillies are going to be able to slug with the best of them. But after NOLA – their starting rotation is is somewhat questionable, uh, you know. Whereas the Mets' uh, starting rotation is is uh, I think obviously stronger than theirs. Uh, but will they be able to you know go toe to toe slugging it out with them? That remains to be seen. Uh, as we said before the podcast started, I'll make this uh, brief. Well, the part that really you know is is a thorn in my side is, is the real Mudo transaction or not transaction. And the Phillies winds up getting both Harper and Real Muto. Uh, I would have liked to have a catcher of his, of his caliber, uh, really. Uh, that's the, that's what bothers me, and the Phillies winds up getting both. Rich, uh, Sam, we've said numerous times uh, on this podcast how the upper deck would have paid for Harper's contract alone. Uh, that, is, that contract would have been easily paid for by the fans, willingly, I might add. So, go ahead. Let's, uh, let, let, let's get to uh, Mr. Prince. Well, Greg... Uh, the floor is yours. You know the two questions. Um, is it insane? Like, do you think you've uh, did you ever think you'd see this kind of a deal for this long? And balance of power, go with it. Well, in terms of the deal, I guess a few years ago, John Carlos Stanton signed one. Uh, it was kind of hard to fathom at the time, not just for the numbers, but because it was the Marlins. And I guess you know, obviously, the Marlins aren't are the ones paying it anymore. So you know, there's a lot of money in baseball. Uh, despite all you read uh, constantly about baseball's perhaps ebbing popularity, uh, younger demographics, all of that stuff, seems to be enough money to pay these guys. You know, the Phillies aren't going to go out of business. This isn't Connie Mack having to to sell off his infield because they they make $100,000 among them. Um, So the money's out there, and teams can – you know, reasonably plan to pay other players. That's always what worries me as a Mets fan whenever we talk about a a monstrous contract. Like, well, are they going to be able to get other pitchers and other players around him? Um, the, the thing that occurs to me with ticket sales is if you guys uh, go to Mets games, you know that they have this perk for season ticket holders at the beginning of every game. One of them is chosen to be up on the diamond vision and say, play ball. And they're always introduced as this is so-and-so season ticket holder since. I always notice that an outsized portion are season ticket holders since either the year after the Mets went to the playoffs or went to the World Series or since the year the Mets made a big splash in the offseason. It seems to be like an inordinate number over the years of Mets season ticket holders since 1985. Why 1985? Because they went out and got Garrett Carter. Mets season ticket holder since 2005. Why 2005? Because they went out and got Carlos Beltran. And it's a reminder that when you 
you know, invest. It's that sort of way it, it comes back to you. People want to come to the ballpark if they think it's the place to be. If you're already a Mets fan, obviously you're, you're going to be there now and then, but you go out and get a superstar and you make the team better and you make the team a contender, you're going to want to be out there a lot. And I think that's what the Phillies are, are going to reap, at least in the short term. In the long term, who the hell knows? Uh, in the competitive balance of the National League East, you know, this clearly has an impact. I don't think it makes the Phillies prohibitive favorites because you have four reasonably good to very good teams. Uh, you know, the, the team that has had Bryce Harper four of the past seven seasons won the division, never mind what they didn't do in the postseason. Uh, the Mets have only finished ahead of a Bryce Harper included a team once in those seven seasons, but obviously Bryce Harper was surrounded by, you know, a very good pitching staff and some other very good players. Um, you know, it doesn't make me give up for 2019 by any means as a Mets fan. Uh, it doesn't make me cede the division to the Phillies. Um, you know, Bryce Harper had one great MVP pay this man whatever he wants year in 2015, and he's had some good years, and Otherwise, you know, he, he seems to be famous for being famous to a certain degree, uh, which may explain why, why it took a little longer to get his, you know, very handsome contract. So I, I don't think he is a, a division wrecker or a division maker, but I, I think he certainly enhances the Phillies. Remember, the, the Phillies were, were trying to win a division last year by going out and getting Australia Cabrera and Jose Bautista and Wilson Ramos, all of whom have, have their upside, but none, none of whom uh, – uh, at least in one-third of those cases, uh, slightly discouraging. Uh, you know, if anything, the, the Phillies went downhill after they got all those guys. Uh, probably a coincidence. But um, it's an improved team. But the Nationals are a very good team. Braves are still a very good team. And the Mets, which I, I guess probably segues us uh, in, in, into where we're really going, um, they're a better team. You know, I think... And it's not a bad thing that the the moves that were made over the winter probably made us forget just how miserable we were for about five-sixths of last season. But, uh, you know, we we finished up strong, if I may use the uh, first-person plural. And uh, we we made enough professional moves in the offseason that uh, the the Mets are a factor. And uh, as has been mentioned here, the Mets have pitching. So um, it just makes a good division that much better. But, you know, it's not like Harper left the division. So he's a factor in the Mets' lives, you know, 19 times a year just with a, a different bunch of uh, teammates. So, uh, you know, let, 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 let the uh, slugging begin. Maybe a little less slugging from Philadelphia for lucky. And, I, you know, I think that that's it, right? I, I think it's a lot of the points you made there, Greg. Bryce Harper has helped teams win divisions where he's been to the Mets' detriment, and now he's still in the division, and he's on a team that, you know, Mike, you went there, a team that has a good lineup, but their pitching is a bit suspect. Um, So we'll see. I mean, it's a big old we'll see. You know, does Harper put them over the top or not? Um, Don't know. It's it's hard to know. And and it's all, you know, one player, the impact of one player, it's not basketball. The one player in baseball can certainly have a big impact. We saw it with Cespedes in 15. But it's not like basketball where it's one of five guys on the, on the floor. I mean, this is one of 25 men on the roster. And um, can he put over the top? Maybe he can. Their pitching is suspect. Uh, the Mets have battled him before. Like Greg just said, they'll battle him with a new group of friends. 
and we'll see where it goes. But but let's let's bring it around to Port St. Lucie and the New York Mets. So what's going on in Port St. Lucie? Let's start here. Um, I hate to be negative, but I'm going to be. Um, the, you know, the Mets have had some injuries so far early in spring training. Todd Frazier looks like will not uh, be on, on the opening day lineup. He'll be on the injured list, now we call it. Um, and it looks like Jed Lowry may not be on, be, in the opening, be on the opening day roster either, might also be on the injured list. Ironically, both were slated to play some measure of third base. So let, let, let's go to you, Mike, first on this one. So, you know, I, I'm personally very happy the Mets did the things they did with the Danny Echeverria and bringing in guys like Rajai Davis and depth moves because, lo and behold, we're – Eight days into spring training games, and the Mets need these guys. So good thing they have the depth. But but talk to me about this. Talk to me about the injuries you've seen. Did any part of you say, oh, no, same old Mets, these injuries, can't get away from it? And how do you think they'll weather the storm? So, Mike, why don't you take that one first? As Mets fans, we, 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 we can do that. We tend to do that. But we have a new staff. We have new protocol. Uh, and we have a new administration, so you have to chalk this up to coincidence. It happens. It happens to every team. We just have to be pragmatic about this. Uh, but what BV did, uh, BVW did do, like you say, is increase the depth of the 40-man roster. You know, put that in quotes because nothing's written in stone yet. Uh, but that's, you know, part and post, part of what he spent the winter doing was was creating this depth. So we'll be able to hopefully weather this storm. And look, the best laid plans for McNeil, you know, now you have to reconsider him at third base as opposed to the outfield. You don't have to, but it's part of the equation all over again. Uh, you know, so he's brought in a lot of new names. And there you go, injuries, something that we were looking to avoid, but obviously they're unavoidable. That's why they call them accidents and whatnot, etc. But, uh, yeah, I think they can weather it based on the personnel that Brody Van Wagenen has brought into into camp. Uh, you know, we still have a month to go before opening day, so a lot can happen. Uh, third base will work itself out, hopefully. Greg, um, we've all been Mets fans a long time. Did any part of you turn your eyes skyward and say, you've got to be kidding, or do you take these injuries in stride, and, and how do you think they'll weather the storm? Uh, I think we're a few weeks and a few injuries from being in, uh, you know, fate is so unkind to us territory. You know, I, I'm sorry that it happened. I'm sorry it happened to, to anybody. Uh, if, but if I can be glad about any of it, that it happened early enough that there is time to recover. You know, what was the uh, rehabilitate, recover, reconnoiter, whatever whatever the uh, prevention of recovery, that was it. The signs that they uh, put in the clubhouse a few years ago, which, you know, solved everything. Um, You know, yeah, these guys might might miss opening day and early part of the season. You know, we we never know. We've seen enough injuries that went from uh, day to day to uh, see you next year. So um, who the hell knows? I mean, I, I guess the, uh, the the worst best case scenario is they come back by the All Star break, and then we're all congratulating the Mets for going out and getting a Jed Lowry and a Todd Frazier at the All Star break, as if they made a trade. But um, you know, I, I'm not ready to to quite get into that mode yet. Uh, where gosh, this always happens, as as you guys have said, depth uh, is 
going to be, at least on paper, a saving grace. Uh, you know, you, I was listening to the game today over WCBS, and uh, Wayne Randazzo rattled off the names of some guys who are long gone or back to the minors or who practically never here who among them took 131 starts in the outfield last year. You know, everybody from Austin Jackson to Matt Dendecker to Kevin Kazmarski, not, not to put anything on those guys, but the point was that they were always kind of piecing together lineups uh, as opposed to putting guys out there who they wanted to have out there. So I, I think they, they find themselves maybe in a little bit of a pickle uh, in terms of losing two of their potential third basemen and, you know, again, Jeff McNeil, who I, I think is, you know, somehow some, you know, based on, on two promising months has kind of become the savior of this organization in a lot of ways, uh, or, or at least the uh, the Swiss Army knife of this organization. Um, you know, I, I think common sense tells you that he probably ought to be playing third base, but, you know, if he's working on becoming an outfielder, uh, good luck. And that would be swell if, if those guys aren't back to play third base. And, you know, you go to your other outfield options. Uh, you know, they, they went out and got Carlos Gomez, or they are about to sign him officially. And th- that helps, you know, Lagaris, Broxton, you know, the, the likes of uh, Rajay Davis and, and so forth. So, you know, they're, they're able to move a guy back to third base uh, who is an infielder who, as far as we know, can play there. So I, I don't... It doesn't feel desperate. Let's put it that way. And injuries, other than, you know, being a decent human being and hoping nobody is hurt and hoping that you have full strength, injuries shouldn't be a killer. I mean, the the thing that I I think last year truly fell apart, the week, which was what, like maybe the second week of the season, when uh, both Travis Darno and Kevin Ploiecki went out. Darno for the entire season, Ploiecki for long enough, where suddenly your your two-headed catching monster became Jose Lobaton and... Tomas Nito, not, nothing against those guys, but I was, you know, third and fourth string. Um, and it was a pretty good drop from, quite frankly, what wasn't already the most imposing catching platoon. But, uh, you know, the, the, this is what Van Wagenen has done. It's, it's, it's interesting to me to consider that Van Wagenen comes in here kind of this, you know, shiny bauble type of reputation as an agent, guy who would value flash and glitz, you would think. But he has gone out of his way to uh, you know, to to fill up the pantry with enough staples, so you're you're not going to get desperate this year. So you know, injuries happen to everybody. Injuries, you know, ha- happened to good Mets teams over the years as, as well as bad Mets teams. It's it's how you deal with them and how you can compensate for them. And on March third, I'm not ready to say you know, woe is us. Uh, this always happens to us. I'd, I'd, you know, March 15th, I might think that way. March 20th, I, I'd probably be in a panic. But March 3rd, let's remain optimistic. Good. No, I, I like it. And I'll tell you what, you know, I I feel like I'm picking on the guy, and I don't like that, but I can't help it. I call it the Ty Kelly principle. It's like the Mets have done – they've brought in depth and quality major league players to have as reserves to a point where they don't have to put the likes of Ty Kelly on the field. And – you know, think about what we just talked about, Greg. You know, you touched on it, Mike, you touched on it, that 
if they have to move McNeil back to third base or, or get it, which is probably where he belongs, I'm not a huge fan of playing guys out of position. Mike and I talk about that all the time. Um, if they have that, and they have enough outfielders that they could make somebody else the fourth and fifth outfielder. So they've got guys, they've got Echeverria. And what Brody talked about right from the beginning is spreading the funds around, not you know going after one Bryce Harper, one Manny Machado, bringing in a lot of players, a lot of quality players as opposed to one superstar. And at least at this point, it seems like his logic it's right in your face. You know, it's like they've had a few injuries, but they're not devastating injuries because they have the depth. So, Sam, to you, um, what do you think? You know, when you start, when you hear about these injuries, do you at any point say, oh, you've come on, man? Or uh, And how do you think they'll weather the storm of having a couple of infielders out already? Well, first off, I just want to say I'm going to call it the injured list like I call it the RFK bridge, all right? Uh, I'm, I'm, I, this is the first time I'm hearing of that. So, um, and and it's something that we talk about all the time. Every year, you know, it's that infamous uh, Eric Campbell, John Mayberry Jr. against Clayton Kershaw moment. That that is something that has dogged this team for a long time, and we've touched on it uh, uh, already in this this cycle of questions about the fact that we're not going to be whether we're not going to be throwing Ty Kelly up there as, as much as we have in the past, hopefully, because uh, I believe he's back in the organization. But, um, yeah, it, it, you, we, we have to just remember that as much as we give them uh, a little bit of crap for the way they go about uh, running this team, we've also been hating on them for the lack of depth, and he shored that up uh, some. And hopefully, you know, it, it, we're going to see the – the uh, the fruits of that labor uh, come to fruition, you know, because we don't have Todd Frazier or we don't have Jed Lowry or whoever else is going to get injured. Um, the starting pitching depth, however, uh, might still have some little bit of Ty Kelly likes in the background, and we something we we uh, will I'm sure get a little deeper into uh, at some point on this podcast. But that yeah I. I think that I'm I'm not there with same old Mets. I kind of like you're it it I I didn't ex, I didn't necessarily expect it in terms of like the same old Mets type type thing. But like like Greg just said, good teams get injured, bad teams get injured, and it's just the way you weather the storm. Uh, that that you know I was expecting it to happen because it happens to every team, and and so I'm I'm happy to see that uh, he short up the depth. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody gets flashbacks of that game in Florida in 2009 when Johan Santana was pitching and Daniel Murphy was in left field. I do think, however, that Jeff McNeil in general is a better fielder overall, whether that be infield or hopefully potentially outfield if we see him uh, out there, uh, than Daniel Murphy ever was. Uh, because as much as I love Daniel Murphy, the hitter, which is what he always said he was, um, all I will, I will, as as off as much as you your generation talks about pitching Tom Seaver in Game Six, I'm going to be talking about Daniel Murphy going to the side of that baseball in Game Four. So, you know, it it I when it comes to when it comes to McNeil, I don't want to see anybody out of place. But Daniel Murphy, I, I get flashbacks to it. But Daniel Murphy was always out of place, no matter where he was in the field. But I digress, of course. I'm very happy about the depth. 
Um, and I, I hope that it doesn't get completely decimated by, quote-unquote, same old mess. Right, right. And, and I think we're all, we're all in complete alignment here that, you know, the injuries suck, and Lowry I thought was a great signing, and now we're not going to see him until insert date. Frazier maybe could have been tradable if he had a good spring training, you know, free up some money. And, and well, not, that's not going to happen because he's not going to be on the field in, in Fort St. Lucie. So while it's frustrating a bit, it's so much easier to take when you're turning to Echeverria, McNeil, guys like that, as opposed to some of the names we've mentioned. So, all right, let's go a little further here, and, and let's talk about another topic. And, and I don't know, uh, Greg, I'll start with you on this one. Is it just me, or, or do you find any incredible irony or, or humor, some implicit humor in the fact that Carlos Gomez is back after the whole thing that went on in 2015? So talk to me about that. And from a baseball perspective, do you think it's a good move? Well, uh, it, it seems as if it was destiny for Carlos Gomez to eventually become a Met again. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, just on Ty Kelly, I know, uh, Sam, you're just using this archetype, but Ty Kelly is now in the Angels organization, so uh, rest your fears, uh, at least at least until he's DFA'd and he winds up back here. But uh, anyway, Carlos Gomez, uh, you know, this this is about death, I suppose, uh, just what we, we've been talking about. Um you know, as you were alluding to, Rich, um, you know, Gomez, a, a Met in 2007 who went in the Johan Santana deal and eventually became a very good player for a couple of years, uh, who was on the docket. Uh, I was at City Field the night of the uh, Wilmer Flores trade non-trade, and when word got out uh, that Carlos Gomez was going to become a Met, I remember at least in my, my little uh, sliver of the stadium, uh, it was like, good, we're going to get Carlos Gomez. Of course, that was four years ago, and it never happened. Um, no, I don't know how much he has left. I know he, he seems very happy to come back, which is nice. And if he can be some semblance of his 2013 self, uh, that would be fantastic. It seems like we have uh, several guys who are you know, some version of a speedy outfielder with some credentials behind him. Um, you know, he hasn't made the team. And it, has, it is a minor league contract, and I don't, I don't know that that's a technicality at this stage of his career. But, uh, you know, we're still at the stage of spring training where it's the more the merrier. And we are talking about a guy who has, you know, accomplished at the major league level who is not an ice. I don't want to pick on him either because I actually liked him. But you know, it was not Ty Kelly, just to, to use uh, the, the point of the realm for tonight. Uh, it was not Kevin Kazmarski. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not the, the guy from AAA. So, you know, let's let's see what he can do. Uh, you know, but, uh, again, among a lot of outfielders who, who know how to play the position, uh, back, backing up, you know, maybe the one guy, in terms of McNeil, who doesn't, and the other couple of guys, uh, Conforto and Nimble, who are you know, real outfielders, uh, who you know aren't necessarily Gold Gloves, but they're they're perfectly fine. Uh, it's it's one more piece to the puzzle. Uh, I, I will just throw in you, know, you mentioned that Daniel Murphy in left field to begin the 2009 season. He wasn't he wasn't that hot in the 2008 season when they stuck him out there as a rookie. And uh, although, yes, I am of the generation that uh, constantly bemoans uh, the absence of George Stone 
from starting uh, the latter stages of the 1973 World Series. I, w- I was at the game that Daniel Murphy made that error in the World Series, and that will probably haunt me for the rest of my days as well. But, uh, you know, we, we won't have to see Daniel Murphy uh, 19 times a year anymore either. So, like the injuries, maybe we can put him behind us. Good point on that one, on Murphy being in the West now. Um, so, Sam, let's go to you. Um, did, did Carlos Gomez and the irony of the whole thing hit you or, or not so much? Where were you with it? Well, first of all, just to get this thought out of the way, uh, Ty Kelly is the angel most likely to come back to the Mets than another one whose <laughs> name I will not mention. Um, but actually, yeah, the, the Carlos – Carlos Gomez did make me chuckle when I saw that. I I, I remember I tweeted uh, whatever, you know, whoever I quoted, I tweeted like, ha, 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 just, <laughs> just constantly. Like, the laugh just, like, bellied more and more the more I thought about it. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I just, it's very Mets. And I hope that he has a rejuvenation of career. And he is all of a sudden the Carlos Gomez at age 33 that he was at age 25. Um, I, I know that I, uh, going back to it, I, I, I remember that 2007 was a, a year where I was a little detached until a, a friend of mine in Philly was like, are you not paying attention? And all of a sudden I realized I wasn't paying attention. And 2008 was where I started, I don't think I've missed a, a, a day of Mets baseball, whether it be listening or, or watching or at least checking in on the game day and knowing exactly what was going on as often as possible since 2008, since, since I realized that I needed to be, be more present. And so I didn't take in Carlos Gomez uh, the first go-round like other Mets fans did. Um, and, and, and so I, I don't think I have that kind of uh, – um, emotional connection to him, uh, uh, you know, and, and looking back on that deal, it, it, I don't think, I don't think any Mets fan would say that they ever missed Carlos Gomez with what Johan Santana provided. Excuse me. Even if uh, Johan Santana's contract is kind of going back to what we were talking about with the 13 year Bryce Harper deal. But, you know, I'll, I'll take, I'll take, uh, what Johan Santana left on the field plus a no hitter. Uh, any day of the week over whatever Carlos Gomez could give us. But I, I think that it's another depth signing. Uh, we were talking, you know, he's on the younger side than some of the other outfield uh, outfielders that we were talking about, like Chris Davis. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, I, I, I think especially with where his numbers were, you know, uh, the last few years, it, it, it makes sense the type of contract he got. Like, Greg said, you know, not sure if it's a formality, but we'll we'll see what happens. And I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm guessing he's back in spring training, and and um, he's going to be gearing up for some games soon. Uh, and we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, right? You sign him to a minor league deal, he makes a team, makes a team. If not, they, they were saying on the broadcast. I think I was watching Wednesday's game that the Syracuse, uh, the AAA team, and we're all thrilled that it's in Syracuse, uh, might be one of the best in AAA because if they keep all these guys, my God, they're going to have a AAA team loaded with, with really quality former major leaguers. So, all right, Mike, what do you think? Gomez, did the irony or just a good baseball move, some of both? Where is it, where is it for you? 
I, I have I had no re- no reaction whatsoever. It's just another name, you know, the recurring thing that really meant nothing to me. This is this goes back to the argument of quantity versus quality. Uh, and, and the Mets have a situation in the outfield where they need a body, you know, and Sam brought up some of the ages of these gentlemen. Gregor Blanco's 36, Roger Davis, 39, Carlos Gomez, 33. And a guy like Carlos Gomez, you know, there's, I always say there's reasons why guys like that become available. You know, so it's a situation where I think the Mets are best served by sticking to what they know, known quantities in Juan Lagares and Brandon Nimmo and Conforto. Uh, as you said or brought up before, Rich, you know, I don't like to see guys being played out of position. So I try to avoid Porto and center field if I were the Mets. You know, I'd like to see that. Uh, but something's got to give. I forgot to mention Keon Broxton. I think you're a big fan of his. You know, he's going to be very helpful. So, uh, you know, quantity versus quality. And that's where I throw Carlos Gomez. And, and I throw him into that mix. Uh, so let's see what spring training holds for these guys. Yeah, right. You know, that's something that – and that's a great segue to where I wanted to go next was what are you watching in spring training? So, uh, Mike, I think I'll go right back to you on that one first. But but I'll tell you what I'm watching. A um, couple things that have intrigued me. Dom Smith, the guy who everybody said, you know, he's done, it's Pete Alonzo and blah, blah, blah. And, and all of a sudden Dom Smith is having a really good first, you know, eight days of spring training games. Um, I was able to watch the game today on the Cardinals feed, and um, and he you know hit a three run home run, put them ahead, and he's had he looks good, he looks physically good, and so we have that first base thing. You know, Pete Alonso's also looked decent, but Dom Smith, as of yesterday, I think was hitting over like 500, and uh, and it's very early. I get it. So that's one thing I'm watching. The second thing I'm watching is. More so than any year in the past, as we've been talking about, the Mets have a lot of bodies, a lot of names that you know. Rajai Davis, Gregor Blanco, we've talked about him. Now Carlos Gomez, Danny Echeverria, Danny Espinosa. You know, you, you have all these guys who weren't in the organization last year. And they're major league players, some of whom are, you know, a little longer in the tooth than others. But how is this thing going to sort itself out, you know, because is Lagaris going to be here? So, so in summary, my, my two storylines, Dom Smith and also this plethora of players that you know, obviously you can only have 25 on the major league roster, and will they release some of these guys who won't accept, you know, uh, AAA assignments? Will they try to keep a couple of these guys in AAA like Gregor Blanco? Who knows? You know, I'm fascinated to see, and they said today in the Cardinals broadcast, we're about a third of the way through the spring training schedule already. So they have two-thirds of the schedule, spring training schedule to sort all this out, and I want to see how they sort it out. So, Mike, what has intrigued you so far? What are you looking at in spring training so far? Uh, Dom Smith, very quickly, uh, perhaps he received his wake-up call, and perhaps he received it prior to this administration. Uh, perhaps he better realizes what, and understands what it takes to be a professional now. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, we're seeing that play play out on the field now. Uh, perhaps he wasn't ready when they called him up. Uh, now he's probably in a better frame of mind. And, you know, sometimes young kids need a swift kick in the posterior to get them going in the right direction. That's all I'll say about Don Smith. You're right. He looks very good. It's early. And, you know, spring training, you're, you're liable to be facing quite literally anybody. Uh, so I take some tips in uh, Grapefruit League play uh, 
with a grain of salt, if I may. Uh, and very quickly as to, you know, the new names in camp and whatnot, you have to keep everything within the context of money. Unfortunately, that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. That being said, Brody is doing the best he can without jacking up payroll. And remember, when he first came on board, he uh, made a point of the Mets relied on too many ifs, IFS, ifs. And it seems as if he traded his ifs for vets, veterans. Uh, so, you know, when you go with veterans, there's a little bit more surety and a little less anxiety. Uh, because let's face it, after the Mets' frontline players got hurt and, and their depth became their starters, there was nothing left. So bringing a whole bunch of veterans on board, there's somewhat, uh, there, there's at least a measure uh, of uh, confidence that the team can continue moving forward and weather a storm. Agreed, agreed. All right, so so Sam, hold on one second. We'll go to Greg on this one. And so, Greg, what you know, what are you particularly focusing on in, in the spring training? It's not just about winning and losing games, as we know. So, what are you looking at? You know, I'm I'm just happy to hear the voices of our announcers and and see the sights. Uh, you know, I I am intrigued that uh, that Dom Smith and Pete Alonso are doing well, and that Dominic Smith and Peter Alonso have just disappeared. But uh, I guess we could ask Jason 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 Bradford and uh, Phil and Philip Evans about that if if they ever come back around. Um, you know, I mean, this thing will sort itself out as we get closer to you know. March 28th, and we're talking about who's you know the, who's the backup infielder, who's the backup outfielder, who's the is there a third catcher? You know how deep is the bullpen? Who is the emergency starter? Uh, you know, I mean, it's just I as Mike said, it's it's a grain of salt time in terms of anything you're seeing out there. The only the only thing I really ever look forward to from a performance standpoint is if somebody has been highly touted. I think back to those springs where you know, Matt Harvey was, you know, basically a name uh, in the minor league system. When Zach Wheeler was a name in the minor league system. When Noah Syndergaard was at that point in his career. Well, let's see what all the fuss is about, and you'd see a couple of innings and and get excited, and then you know they'd go back for however many months or another year, and then you know it would be for real. Um, but for just from a fan standpoint. There is a sense after a winter when they've made a bunch of moves as they have this winter. There's just a sense of wanting to feel that this is still my team. Obviously, the Mets as an institution are my team, but there is this kind of sense of, uh, and this is from from the show Company, if any of you ever saw it or heard the soundtrack. Uh, There's a line from there. It's a city of strangers. And that's C-I-T-Y, not C-I-T-I, but it's the same could be said. There are years where I just feel like it's a, it's a city of strangers, it's a team of strangers. Who are these guys exactly, and, and why do I have to root for them when I've never rooted for, for these people before? And, and, and there, there is that familiarizing sense. Uh, we'll, I'll use Wilson Ramos as an example. Uh, I never gave a thought other than, oh, no, Wilson Ramos just got another hit against us as a national uh, to this guy, and suddenly I'm being told he's our catcher and this is good news. 
And, you know, I, I can understand it in theory, being aware of his career, but, like, really? Like, I've just spent the last half dozen years thinking about Travis Darno as our catcher and, you know, dealing with the Pleweckis and the Wreckers and the, the Lobatones and Nitos and whoever else. And then yesterday he goes and hits a grand slam, which, again, means nothing because it's a spring training game. But I got excited because, hey, Wilson Ramos, he's our guy now. And, and you know, he's being congratulated by guys I recognize wearing – a logo to, to you know to which I have, have you know hitched my star for uh, all of my life. So you know it, it, it's just a kind of that that to me is like the value of spring training. I mean it, it's too long and I don't care after the second game what happens other than nobody gets hurt. But it just eases you back into the idea that these people matter to you or, or making them matter to you. So you know I'm kind of sorry that Jed Lowry is is out of the picture for that because I was looking forward to getting to know him in, in a fan sense, the way I'm getting to know Wilson Ramos and some of these other guys. Um, so as far as the inevitable excess of, of you know, major leaguers who are here on minor league contracts, that sort of thing, you know, hopefully the, the, those guys have the types of spring training where even if there's no room for them, uh, maybe the Mets get something for them. I'm sure that part of you know their ambition is, if not making the Mets, then to showcase themselves. Uh, remember, there's still you know actual major league free agents out there who still haven't gotten deals. You know, below the Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell line. You know, guys who could be on you know, benches or starting lineups somewhere. So you know, these guys are competing with those reputations. So you know, see again, the more competition the better it is for everybody, I suppose. So, you know, it's, it's, an annual, it's an annual sorting out process that, you know, as, as much as we're talking about tonight, I'm all, I'm all for talking about this as opposed to the fact that it's snowing outside my window, that three and a half weeks from now we're going to completely forget about, and it's, it's Brigadoon. <laughs> it will disappear until next February when we will treat it as if the kingdom has, has re-arrived. But, uh, you know, this is all part of the rhythm of what we do. And, uh, you know, Let's have a few more weeks of it until we can't stand it anymore. <laughs> so, Sam, what has piqued your interest so far? Well, I, I first want to say that I have been in Dom Smith and Dominic Smith's camp <laughs> since he got drafted. and uh, But even though I do, I did customize his T-shirt, I believe, at the end of 2017, um, I'm more in the camp of, of – wanting the best first baseman possible for this team and, and what will make us the best team possible out there uh, as opposed to rooting for any specific uh, player. I, I think at some point I had been rooting for a specific player for a while, but now I, I've kind of been, uh, you know, I, 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 that's just not my game anymore. I remember I, I was more in the, the Ploiecki camp than the Darno for a little while. And, you know, look how that turned out. So um, it has piqued my interest for sure when it comes to Dom Smith. But like you guys said, you never know who these bodies are out there. I really like what Greg uh, mentioned about, about getting to know these guys, settling in. And that's like, you know, and, and, and you see it with, with SNY. It's, it's, it's like everybody needs spring training. The fans need spring training. Sometimes – when you're watching these games on on uh, the you know uh, just sorry I just lost how I was saying this but you know the the boneheaded moves that S and Y sometimes made to makes 
are like, oh, yeah, these guys haven't done this all winter. The truck needs some work. Um, and, and the fans need some work, too. We need to settle back into baseball. And it's, it's been hard to come by for me to be able to watch these games. So it, you, you're, you're reminding me that I need to try to go out of my way at certain points, at least to have it on in the background. But, you know, I'm, I, my schedule's kind of all over the place right now. But I'm, I'm, I'll figure it out for, uh, for both the spring and the summer. I'm sure you will. It's in our blood. It's what we do. So, all right. So, we, you know, believe it or not, we've almost been on for an hour, like coming up on 55 minutes. So I do want to get to one more thing before we go around for the last words. So, so let's, let's go here. And, and this is something Mike suggested we talk about, and it's really well, well brought up. So you think about, oh, the Mets got, have great pitching. We said that already in this podcast. They have great pitching, and they do. So, but there are two things about this pitching that I'm going to throw out for questions. And, Greg, I'll start with you. Is these guys, is this the last year they're going to be together? Because, like we said, Wheeler, he's in his walk year, right? And is he, are the Mets going to pay him? They said they're not going to pay him based on one good half season. So, Wheeler, what happens there? Cindergard this week shocked me. I'm sure he shocked you when he said he'd be comfortable, you know, playing out his time and testing the free agent market. They still haven't signed to Grom. So, ooh, those are some storm clouds on the horizon. So I, I'd like you to comment on that. And then, and then the ancillary point here is what about the fifth starter role? I mean, do we really want to see Jason Vargas? And especially when Geo's out there. I'm a big fan of signing Geo. I think they should. So let's talk about pitching in terms of, you know, is the band going to break up after this year with all the fractures we might be seeing? And, and also talk to me about the fifth starter, Greg. Well, I think that, you know, the band, you know, used to include Matt Harvey and uh, it, it went on. Uh, I don't know that any of us really, really miss him. Uh, all, all due respect to some of his finer moments. So um, I think we should be braced for the fact that this probably isn't, uh, you know, Seaver Kuzman and Matlack staying together for the better part of seven or eight years. Although I guess it, it's, it's been a while, actually. It's already about five years, uh, depending on how you count these things. Um, you know, I, I, I believe the, uh, the the phrase that uh, Mike threw out there before uh, regarding money, um, will the Mets want to invest in Zach Wheeler? Uh, if Zach Wheeler continues to pitch like he did in the second half of last year, I think that would be a, a wise investment, um, but he has really only done it that half that half season. It's, it's a it's a shame that he missed the two years and and a, a good bunch of a third because he was on his way to being that pitcher. I thought uh, by late 2014, um, you know, I, I think all these guys are looking at the market. I think Syndergaard was looking at the market in terms of uh, you know what is going to be out there for a pitcher coming into free agency. Uh, DeGrom obviously is a huge question mark, and that's a whole other topic that I, I imagine uh, you know has, has been gotten into before. So I don't know that this staff stays together forever, or at least as close to baseball forever as possible. I think uh, we would be advised to enjoy it this year, uh, root for them to continue to make strides. I don't think Stephen Matz has has made all the strides he is going to make. Uh, you know, everybody else is, is pretty much, I think, where we could expect them to be. Can certainly, uh, you know, ask for you know consistency and you know 
just keep doing it more and, and, and don't uh, get weird injuries if possible. But, you know, you, I, th- I think we all have to feel pretty good about these four for 2019. And, you know, anything beyond that uh, is probably too much to, to worry about now uh, in terms of the fifth starter. Listen, Jason Vargas is the incumbent. I think he – boy, it's hard for me to say this because, you know, I got to the point last summer where I was using Vargas more as an adjective than as a proper noun, that anything that went wrong, anything that went wrong was just very Vargas in my mind. But about the time that I decided he was beyond redemption, he kind of redeemed himself and put together uh, the last two months kind of what you expected uh, or could have hoped for out of Jason Vargas at this stage of his career. And I don't, think it's realistic to say the Mets are going to, unless somebody out there really wants him and the Mets make this move for Gio Gonzalez, that, you know, I don't know how, how much they've, they've talked to the guy. Um, he's here. And there's really nobody in, until, until it's proven, it's really nobody who has grabbed that spot from him yet again. It's, it's early in spring training. Nobody, I, I think, has had more than two starts. You know, they, they've got, you know, guys like Walker Lockett uh, possibly – showing himself to be that kind of pitcher who could join this rotation. Uh, the, the Rule 5 guy, Kyle Dowdy, I, I believe has, uh, has started as well as relieved. Uh, I, I could be completely making it up, but I think he yeah, read that. Uh, you know, plus, you know, the, the, shall we say, the usual suspects uh, who, who we saw a little bit of last year. Um, Gio Gonzalez would probably be a step up, even at this stage of his career. But I you know, again, you, this is your left-hander also. Um, this is a guy who, the, the fact that he went through the miserable season he did last year in terms of Jason Vargas and did not, you know, completely throw in the towel impresses me and, you know, did not become completely useless. That he did not, you know, he was for, again, for four and a half months, he was basically the, the same first name, the Jason Bay of, uh, of med pitchers, uh, where you just kept waiting for something to get better, and it never did, uh, but it did. So, you know, well, whatever the the, um, the the architecture of the schedule, there's usually a little less fifth starter action early on, and maybe whoever waits in the wings at Syracuse, I was going to say Las Vegas, but at Syracuse, uh, you know, gets the experience necessary where the Mets are, are ready to, to take a shot if necessary. But, um, you know, four, it's funny, I'm so used to saying four young pitchers where, you know, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Matson, Wheeler are concerned, four pitchers in their prime and one wily veteran, if uh, things work out, is not the worst uh, way to uh, to go into the season. So I'm going to, you know, this is as much niceness as I've ever directed toward Jason Vargas, and I probably will regret it because that never seems to work out well when when, when uh, crafty lefties start winning me over. If you caught me at the right moment in 2007, I would have told you how happy I was that Tom Glavin was on the Mets, and that's something that kind of ended and uh, never came back. But, um, you know, I, I think of the issue – well, I, I guess it's an issue when whoever starts, starts. But, you know, ju- just in terms of issues the Mets have, fifth starter, I'm not that worried about. We'll, we'll see what happens. Fair enough. Sam? Well, Jason Bay is my favorite worst Mets player of all time. Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, and when it comes to the, the fifth starter, I would love to sign one of these guys. Gio, I have a love-hate relationship uh, with because he 
he both is seems to be this great pitcher, but he's basically uh, he seems to get a little annoyed either whether there's there's a, 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 a whether it's with when he's getting frustrated over the his own personal stuff or what's going on behind him or the umpire. Um, and, and that, that's one thing that I've always dogged on him about, uh, Dallas Keuchel would just really round this rotation out considerably and would be a great counter to the Bryce Harper moves. Like, oh yeah, well we raised you a Keuchel. Um, so, but I'm, I'm kind of more along the camp of, of Greg when, you know, you, you have to think that, that he looked like he, he rebounded at the end of the year, Jason Vargas, I mean. And he he was signed coming off of a, a better second half as well in the year before. So I, I – or actually it might have been reversed if I remember correctly where he had a bad second half. But regardless, that's neither here nor there. I think Greg – I'm going to go with Greg's point on it that it it is the least of my concerns uh, when, when it comes to this rotation. Although the depth does concern me and, it, it, you know, it, it's – the the um the Corey Oswalds, if you will, don't necessarily make me me uh, uh, swallow my pride and 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 not want them to sign to sign one more pitcher. Well, yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I if they could have Vargas as another lefty option, the bullpen, and sign a Geo, and, and my God, how great Keiko would be. Um, Wow, that that would be wonderful. But somehow I don't think that's going to happen. I think it might be a little more realistic on Geo, but probably not realistic for either. Mike, you brought this up, and I, something tells me you have some very good thoughts on this, so why don't you roll with that question? Not much more. The answer is out there. How do you answer the, the Harper signing? Well, you can sign Geo Gonzalez, or you can sign the Dallas Keuchel. The answer is money. You know, you have to keep it in, in that context. As you say, Wheeler's in his walk here. Star is under Mets control through 2021. DeGrom, we know, is under Mets control through 2020. Uh, you know, what's the likelihood they're going to address all three of them and try to retain them? The odds aren't good. And, and I think this is a situation where the spotlight is squarely on, on ownership. And for as much as Brody Van Wagenen can shake his pom-poms like Sandy Alderson couldn't, they're going to be exposed once again. And the question always comes back to how much money do or don't they have? And, and I'm sorry, but at some point, Brody Van Wagen's cheerleading is going to fall on deaf ears because actions will always speak louder than words. So what are they going to do about Wheeler? What are they going to do about DeGrom, whom they haven't even approached with an offer yet, much less considered giving Wheeler uh, any consideration, and Thor is going to come up right behind them. And all three of them, before the month of February was up, already made their positions very, very clear. So, there's, you know, there's no confusion here. Everything's on the table. And I think all of this falls on ownership. It's really all I want to say about that. They want to solve their fifth starter problem, go out and spend a little bit of cash. Because as we said earlier in the show, for all Brody Van Wagenen's maneuverings, he hasn't jacked up payroll. You know, so I, I wish I wish some reporter, some media outlet, some entity would actually get to the heart of the matter and find out where their financial situation sits. And if, in fact, they're just floating the interest 
and all that debt is still out there, or if they, in fact, have been paying it down, because according to the New York Post, and this is what I'm sticking with, and the New York Times and Forbes, as my sources, say in 2015 they renegotiated upwards of $700 million of their debt stemming from Madoff and the aftermath. And we have two years left, according to those reports. But on somebody on Twitter told me that's false. Although he couldn't cite a single source, he says that's all false. Just, they're just floating the interest. I'm not going to get into that. Sam knows what I'm talking about. But that's, what I, that's my angle. And I want somebody to get to the heart of it. I want somebody to get to the bottom of it. Because quite frankly, you know, they brought in a new GM, but all he's doing is shaking a brand new set of pom-poms at us in a more younger, vigorous, more handsomely way. That's all we're getting here. And that's my rant of the night. Well, it's well taken because factually they really haven't raised payroll. What they've done is what Brody said they've done, which is spread it out. And they brought in a lot of depth. Yep. Um, But like you're saying, Mike, I don't know the true answer here. The fifth starter, they haven't gone on. So they've spent probably pretty much what they were going to spend. I think they did it well, but they're probably at the the breaking point of the budget, right? And the fact that they're not bringing in a Geo, at least not yet, they're not bringing in a Keuchel, who I think is would be astronomical, astronomically wonderful to bring in. Um, does that tell you that you know this is purely about money, like it's been for the past lots of years, and they're stopping short of doing something they really need to do? Um, don't know. I mean, like you just said. You have sources that talk about the debt situation, and are they accurate? Are they not? Who knows? Who knows if not bringing in another player who would cost you some money is purely financially motivated, or do they think from a baseball perspective they can, they're can they better off without them? I don't know. But it, it does – it's something that rears its ugly head, and it, and it comes back to that a lot, like you've, like you've said. So, guys, we have now been on the air for an hour and six minutes, and as far as I'm concerned – this podcast started out on a down note, you know, Harper signed somewhere else. We brought it back up, you know, talking about the Mets have a lot of depth and it's going to sort itself out and no Ty Kellys and all that. So we, we came back up and now we had a nice sobering dose of reality. It's all part of being a Mets fan that, um, you know, are, is some of this financially motivated? Why aren't they, the band might break up the pitching staff. So we've kind of ridden a roller coaster on the podcast which is sort of a microcosm being a Mets fan, right? It's, it's one big roller coaster ride, and this podcast has been exactly that. So with all that said, um, we need to do our last word. And so given where we are, you know, eight, eight, days into spring, eight or nine days into spring training games and Brody and depth and not spending more money, general thoughts about baseball being back and snowing and all that stuff. So let's see, last word time. Greg, why don't we go to you? What are your final thoughts here? Uh, one name that hasn't come up at all among any of us is the manager of the Mets, Mickey Calloway. And I think that's kind of interesting. It's, uh, you know, maybe he's able to keep something of a low profile or maybe, you know, it just hasn't occurred to us to mention him uh, until now. But I, I think this will be a, uh, a telling year for him as the guy who was in place before the general manager got here. And I would have to think that, um, again, pending uh, 
per per Mike's points about ownership and money, uh, you know, how, how much they want to pay a manager to not manage. Um, I think he's pretty much got to prove himself. Uh, and I don't know, you know, what the measuring stick for that is beyond winning. Uh, you know, is there a tangible progress that the team makes, even if they're not in first place or they're not, you know, within a few games of first place at the all-star break, uh, you know, with the new coaching help that he's been given, specifically Jim Riggleman, a veteran National League manager uh, at, at his elbow, uh, you know, does he seem more comfortable as the season goes along? Uh, you know, he was kind of baffling last year. He seemed kind of baffled last year. I, I think he strikes me as a good guy and an intelligent guy in a lot of ways, but also a little miscast or, or maybe not ready, or maybe they just do not prepare him enough. So if anybody maybe is going to, you know, we, we talk about not necessarily taking, uh, you know, spring training performances that seriously. Um, I hope that Mickey Calloway is, is getting more comfortable in the role as manager and all that it encompasses. Uh, so, you know, maybe less out of any kind of sense of, you know, affinity for Mickey Calloway because, you know, he was a Met fan before him. I'll be a Met fan after him, not, not, not to be too cold about it. But, you know, to, just the idea that the guy who's managing the Mets should be giving us the best chance possible to win. So um, I, I think that's something in, in, in a kind of a, a broader sense to look for is, is this guy the manager of the Mets, uh, you know, at this time next year? And, you know, how, how did we get to that point, if not? Or, you know, how did we – How can, hopefully we will be able to look back on a, on a great year that Mickey Calloway helped give us. And, uh, you know, he's, he's leaving the, the, the band uh, for, uh, for many years to come. I don't know. But it's uh, – I, I think you know, he was a big story at this time last year. And it seems that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's just kind of hunkering down and getting less attention because there is a new general manager and a lot of other new faces and questions. So – he, he kind of crossed my mind as we were talking. I wasn't even thinking about him coming into tonight, to be sure, truthfully. But, uh, you know, we, we always talk about hot seats, and uh, his, maybe his is covered by the snow tonight, our minds. <laughs> but you know what? You, you make a good point, though, because Mickey is, has not been a storyline. He, he probably is on a very short leash. But because of Brody and because of Brody, you know, he sits with the fans and he signs autographs, takes pictures, all that kind of stuff. Nobody's really talking about the manager. And, and Greg, you brought up such a good point. I'm going to give you a, a quick question here. We had Metrodamus on last time, and we asked him this question, so I'd, I'd love to get your opinion. The Mets at the statistical halfway point are 40 and 41, or 41 and 4. I thought it really mattered with one or the other this season. And let's say they're eight games out of first place. Is Mickey go or stay? Um, I think. It's the texture of of that result that will tell us if it was an awful start because there were you know no Frazier, no Larry, and maybe no somebody else and they're lately putting it together if they're you know quote unquote a young hustling club at least in in spirit uh that you know June is better than may again you know last year you know they they were i think thirty three and forty eight uh which is probably should have ended Galloway's uh, career right there, but that's just my impatience speaking. Uh, I I don't think it ends his, his season uh, at the halfway point. I, I just, that, again, in, unless, it's a, unless it's a frigging disaster, uh, you know, in, in terms of, of how he's dealing with players and dealing, dealing upward, 
with management and dealing with the media. Um, I think if, they, if there's a sense that they're underachieving, I think it, it makes the second half look bad. Um, if I just throw, throw in what one coda to to uh, you know a final thought. I, I don't mean to keep going on. It's interesting. You mentioned uh, you know Brody Van Wagenen kind of being the star of spring training. You know when Sandy Alderson came along, I remember reading a lot of comments that you know thank God we've got Sandy Alderson and Paul De Podesta and J.P. Ricciardi. The Mets are are finally going to be you know operating like a real major league club and. You know the analytics will be in place, and you know we, we we've got uh, you know we've got professionals in here, and it's funny that that all of that happened, and we kind of went back to square one. <laughs> it was over, and you know what? Come, come to think of it, when 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 my friend Jason Fry and I started doing Faith and Fear in 2005, you know it was like thank God we've got Omar Minaya here, we've got a real professional guy who knows baseball, and you know we can look for it, and then we you know we got to the Alderson era, and we were saying the same thing, and they were kind of, you know, different particulars. We're kind of back to that again. And not that there wasn't success in, in both the, the Manaya and in the Alderson eras, but, uh, you know, it just shows you how, how, you know, unless you've got some kind of 40-year dynasty, which not too many teams have anymore, you know, how cyclical this stuff gets. So, you know, I hope Brody Van Wagenen is, is soaking it in and enjoying it and learning and building on it. I, I have the feeling he's either go, it's either going to be like, wow, wasn't it, wasn't it visionary of the Mets to hire Brody Van Wagenen? Wasn't he the right man at the right time? Everybody's now hiring agents. Or, oh, my God, can you believe that the Mets hired an agent to be their general manager? God, what a disaster that turned out to be. I just, I just have this, this sense when it comes to him that, that we're going to be looking at one extreme or the other. Um, and now that I've said that, maybe we'll just have you know, four years of 500 baseball uh, ahead of us. But, um, yeah, these are the guys who, uh, in, in terms of Callaway, in terms of Van Wagen, and, you know, you, you, you will end up measuring them on their record. But, you know, there are so many things behind the scenes that we are not privy to, whether it is payroll and resources or just, you know, the, the way things go down behind the scenes that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll use words like, boy, he was – he was a success. He was a failure, and you know the, the truth will be as as with their predecessors. Uh, you know, the the answer is always a little more mixed. But you know, the, the mix is certainly in Van Wagenen's case that the mixing has yet to begin. So uh, let let it begin soon. Well said, well said, and and I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right on that. You know, well, this was a big risk hiring Brody. He has been the star of the show. And um, we'll see. I mean, it could be. I do think it's going to be one extreme or the other, though. I don't. I don't see the four years of 500 baseball. I think it's either going to be a disaster or it's going to be like the Mets were innovative. They got this guy as an agent. Look at all he did. He was he spread it out and all that kind of stuff, and they won something. Or it's a disaster. I, I do think it'll be one of, one of the uh, the polar ends there. So, Sam, last word from you. Well, first of all, it sounds like we're all in agreement that Brody Von Wagenen is a very handsome fellow. Regardless of what happens, <laughs> that, that seems to be the the, uh, the standard here. Um, I'm I'm going to go a little bit with with where Greg is with Mickey Callaway, but my last word is twelve, and that is game twelve. Last year, I, I, I'm sorry, game thirteen. My number is thirteen, fellas, because I just did my math better. Um, in game thirteen, the Mets had a chance to go twelve and one. But they ended the game 11 and 2, 
And I think the reason I'm bringing that up is that we were all on board for Mickey Calloway to be the next coming of Terry Francona in those first few games. And not that we don't want them to get off to a similar start or some type of strong start. Of course we do. You, you, you can't win pennants in April, but you can lose them, as the saying goes. And I, I think that post-game 13 is going to be a big uh, thing to concentrate on as a fan base, is don't get over overzealous, don't get overconfident, let's see where we're at come end of April. And also, not overall April, but let's see how they got there. Because it was very similar. They, they had similar uh, trajectories the way they got from 15 and 8 in 2015 to, I believe it was close to about 15 and 8 last year. And, um, you, you know, we, 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 need to, we need to see a little bit more consistency from this team come April one way or the other. And that's my last word of the night. Cool. Mike? Copacetic. I'm copacetic, Rich. You know, my frustrations with ownership aside, I get what BBW is doing. Uh, we've been in total agreement with the moves he made to the front office as far as scouting and development, uh, even analy- analytics. Uh, cool with all that. Copacetic with the, with the changes he's made, the bodies he's brought in. Cool with all that. I'm looking forward to a season where at least four of these teams in the National League East just pummel the hell out of each other. You know, and um, I'm I'm confident that the Mets are going to be, you know, in contention. Uh, for how long, you know, that remains to be seen. But I'm looking forward to it, Rich, so I'm copacetic. Excellent. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure going through this episode of the Metsian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. Uh, Greg, of course, a very heartfelt thank you to you for joining us once again. We always look forward to having you on and sharing your insights with us, so thank you for joining us. And that brings this episode to a close. And let me think here. I think there's really only one way to end the podcast. And, Sam, what what is that way? By saying what? Let's go, Mets. That would be it. So, gentlemen, let's go, Mets. Have a great night. Enjoy spring training. Baseball's back. It's all good. The snow will melt someday. And, uh, and we'll be playing real baseball in just a little over three weeks. So, gentlemen, good evening. Have a great night, and thanks for talking baseball on the Metsian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. Good night. Good night, Good all. night. Smile, everybody. Good night. Let's go Mets.